0: Hello, book lovers, dear listeners. Welcome to the Little Pages League with me, Shanda Monteiro. This is the podcast where we meet with children's book authors. Now let's dive in backstage into the magic of storytelling. Good morning. Today I am talking with Grace and Trey. Good morning, Grace. Good morning. How are you? I am very good. I believe it's the
1: afternoon for you. Yes. Afternoon slash evening. Just heading into 6 p.m. my time on Tuesday evening. And where in Australia are you? I'm in Brisbane. Brisbane. So what do you do at 6 p.m. in Brisbane? Actually, it's really interesting timing. I just rushed in um, from doing a workout. So as you know, behind the scenes, we were trying to organize a time for us to catch up and I was trying to do the time conversion and it didn't occur to me that the times that I gave you were the times that I'd normally be doing a workout and I do it with a group. And as I was driving, I was trying to make sure that I made it in time and quickly watching the traffic, but I made it, which is great, but I probably look a little less professional than I'd like to look because I've just come in for from a workout. But I'm glad to be here nonetheless.
0: No problem at all. How does that work? You working out with other people?
1: What kind of workout is it? I go to church and at the church, there's a group of ladies that just work out together. One of the ladies used to be a personal trainer. So she has all of the equipment, so much equipment. And she's currently renovating her house. We do it at the house of another lady that goes to the group. And so all of the personal trainer stuff is at that other lady's house. So the personal trainer creates a plan that we're all doing. And then we all kind of work out together on the circuit. And we go from one task to another task for about an hour. And then we all leave feeling very refreshed, but very sore at the same time. And do, do you do this regularly? Yes, twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, which is a real blessing. Wonderful. And did you grow up in Australia? No, I actually grew up in New Zealand and I moved over to Australia in November of last year. I am a big fan of traveling though, so I have no intentions of staying in Australia. I definitely plan on seeing a lot more of the world, that's for sure.
0: Wonderful. It was just because you wanted to start traveling around the world that you moved from New Zealand? No, so I was actually praying
1: about what, to do. I'd reach a stage in my life where I knew that things needed to change and I felt called to go to Australia. My dad actually has an apartment which I'm currently borrowing or staying in for a short time and so that was the start of the adventure. So I finally left New Zealand, started in Brisbane and now the door awaits me for the next adventure. Do you know where you want to go? I'd love to go to the UK, absolutely love to do that but then I also have quite a lot of family in Canada. So it's a toss-up between the two of them. But I love English accents, absolutely adore them. So that's winning my heart at the moment. Okay. So, and tell me, Grace, you are an unusual children's author
0: because you do, tell me a bit more, you do activity books.
1: Yes, so I do activity books. Um, For example, one of the books is a Would You Rather book. Um, And so it's filled with questions like, would you rather... Live in a castle or live in a tree house? Or would you rather eat an endless supply of cereal or an endless supply of spaghetti? Um, lots of different questions like that. Um, and we've got different characters, different ca- categories from animals, um, food, interesting and thought-provoking, crazy and gross, lots of different ones. So that's one of the books. And then I've got a few search books, a Sudoku book. So just a wide variety of um, books, both for children and families. But the ethos of my brand is to um, help families build connection through games, laughs, and conversations. So everything that I make is generally targeted towards fostering connection within the family.
0: Wonderful. And tell me, you're also unusual because you use a ghostwriter. How? Why do you uh, use... A ghostwriter
1: one of the key reasons is because i am a big thinker in terms i've got lots of ideas lots of broad strokes of things i'd like to do but in terms of the nitty-gritties or actually being able to get the word out myself that is something that i'm still very much learning still very much of a struggle with and so if i had gone into this industry Trying to write everything, I wouldn't have been able to get started because at the moment I don't feel like I had that gifting. I do understand that it's more of like a tool that you use over time. It's not like you come out of the womb ready to write a book, it's something that you cultivate and you do over time. But I felt like in order to even get started, I would need someone to help verbalize or articulate the thoughts and vision that I had within me. And so that's been very helpful. And it's also been particularly helpful because editing and grammar are not my forte by a long shot. And so even when I do things myself, I often need it to be edited again and again. And so it's really, yeah. yeah, I I think
0: everybody is like that. Yes. Yes, you'll be surprised. So you decided to get a a ghostwriter to get you started, but you plan to with time. Be able to do them yourself is like part of your learning
1: process? I'm not sure because I've formed such good relationships with my ghostwriters that they, almost, they feel like they're part of the whole process. And so now it's become so relational that I don't know if I'd even want to do it without them because of the relationships we've formed and that we've just got such a connection in the way that we do it now. It's a process that we've formed together. And so I'm not quite sure if I'd ever want to verge out by myself.
0: Tell me a bit more about the process. How did you go about finding one? And what is the process
1: of working with a ghostwriter like? To be honest, in the beginning, it was really terrible. There's different services and platforms that help do the ghostwriting for you and some of them will do everything from the book cover to the book outline to the finding your ghostwriter the editing and everything like that and I started off by trying that method but the person that I was working with in the process that we were trying to do together it was not aligning at all and either I wasn't able to convey my vision in a way that they were unable to understand or they weren't able to articulate my vision in the way that I envisioned To be honest, I think it was more my part in terms of not being able to articulate the vision in the way that I wanted it to be. And so that didn't work. But because I was so determined to make this work, I looked again. But this time, instead of going to a platform that organized everything for me, I started looking for freelancers by myself on different platforms like Fiverr and Upwork. And there was more trial and error and definitely mistakes. But through that trial and error and perseverance, I managed to find two amazing ladies that completely understand what I'm looking for. But not only do they understand what I'm looking for, they're able to provide opportunities and growth in areas that I never would have thought of. So I might present an idea and then they might look at the idea and say, yes, this looks amazing. We could also do this and this. And then I'll look at that and think, wow, that's amazing. You completely understand what I'm looking for, but I also didn't think about these other ideas. This is going to make this so much better. How about we do this and this? And so what ends up happening is we create something even better than what I had imagined because of the collaboration that we have, if that makes sense. It does make sense. So
0: it was difficult to find the right people to
1: collaborate. How how long did that take you? I'm not sure, actually, because it was... Probably around 2021 that this started. So it was a little while ago that I was doing it, but maybe around six months. It's during the pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. T- tell me about
1: growing up in New Zealand. Yeah. So I guess that's quite a broad question. Is there anything in particular that you're talking about what it's like or how it differs from other countries? Just everything. Mm-hmm from your
0: heritage and what kind of things were nice about being a child in New
1: Zealand? So I was born in New Zealand, but my parents are from Ghana. And when I was growing up, there were very few African people in New Zealand because New Zealand is so far away from Africa. So I guess that was quite a unique experience. But one thing, actually, a friend of mine, she's from England and we're a very close friend. And she was saying to me that she thinks that People who are first generation in another country, their experience is very different to people that are like maybe third, second, third generation people that are in the country. And I do think that's very true when you're growing up so far away from your family and so far away from the contextual roots that generally families build roots in. For example, if you're living in a country and you've got eight generations in that country, Your experience is very different from someone whose parents moved to that country and the only people they know in that country are their immediate family. And so I think that was probably a unique aspect that I have, that a lot of people around the world whose families immigrate to another country, you had that unique perspective of being somewhere where you don't really have roots yet and trying to forge those roots for yourself. And that's been going on for generations. It's not uncommon that families move around, but growing up in New Zealand that we one of the most significant experiences that influenced me growing up as a child of immigrants and learning how to adjust to that way of life, especially when my extended family was so far away. New Zealand is quite a young country compared to other countries and so over the years it's become increasingly multicultural however it wasn't multicultural when i was growing up so that was also quite interesting but it's got a very small population new zealand is quite unique and how many millions so around 4 million 4.5 maybe heading
0: towards 5 million the same as ireland yes
1: we're okay yeah yes so it's unique in being quite small, but at the same time, it's become quite a big player on the world stage. I think it's because it's got so many exports. For example, milk, butter, meat, honey, all those sorts of things. So it was interesting being in a country that's so young and so small, whilst whilst also trying to have such a big impact on the world. So yeah, I don't know if that made any sense at all. Let's
0: let's not forget Lord of the Rings, isn't
1: it? Pickering. Oh yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was huge. That's absolutely huge. And I don't know if any of your listeners are rugby fans, but rugby is incredibly important in New Zealand. And it's, yeah, it's probably one of the defining factors of what it's like to be in New Zealand. There, there is a, a rugby culture in Ireland too.
0: Okay. Yeah. So tell me, do you have one memory from childhood that really sticks out and that
1: had some significance for you in your life probably the day that I'm gonna say the day that I became a Christian but that I was like three and so it's something that's significant obviously it's changed the trajectory of my life because I am a Christian it's quite a defining thing but it's not like I remember it crystal clearly so that could be one But I'm trying to think of another one that maybe is more lodged in my brain or something that's more tangible for me. I guess my first day of school, because it's such a... I remember when I was leaving kindergarten and going to school, and when you're watching everyone else do it, it's such an exciting thing. They have a big goodbye party, and everyone's... You're going to school, and everyone's so excited about it. But as a four-year-old, you don't know what school actually is until you go to school, so you're... And this big buildup of celebrating everyone else go to school as children go off one by one. And then it's your turn and you're so excited. You get the big party, the big farewell for you. And then going to school is very different <laughs> what it's made up to be in kindergarten. Um, and so I do remember that being quite an interesting experience, especially after being in kindergarten for so long. School was a bit of a rude awakening for me. And I remember the very first day that I was there all the children came in and we all sat on the mat and our parents watched us at the door. And I was sitting there so desperate to leave. I just wanted to get out as soon as possible. And I finally worked up the courage to turn around so that I could go to my mum and say, I'm not staying here, I'm leaving. And she was gone or the parents had disappeared. And in my mind, I was just already forecasting exactly what I was going to say to my mum when she came to pick me up. I was very determined that I was never going back to school and that she was terrible for leaving me there and I couldn't wait to go home. And I was just plotting that speech all day ready to let her have my firm opinion of school. But of course, I was forced to go back and, and manage to finish and go on to university. But I do remember that defining moment of being so disappointed that school was not this magical, glorious event that everyone had led me to believe it would be. And and what did you go on to study in university? So I did a Bachelor of Theology and then I did a Master's of Social Work. So that was quite an interesting journey. I do actually like studying. I like to learn. And actually, when I first started my publishing journey, what I wanted to do is I wanted to focus on ways to make learning fun for children, because during the pandemic, I realized that all of the subjects that I thought I was really bad at, I would have actually been quite good at if I'd known the way that I learn, because everyone has different ways of learning and different learning styles. I didn't know that when I was growing up. And so I realized that if I'd known the way that I learn, I would have flourished in subjects that I thought I was really bad at. Um, So I wanted to create some resources to help children engage with their learning styles. And that might still be something that comes up one day, but I've decided to veer away from that path for the moment and focus on um, helping families build
0: connection. That's a a wonderful purpose, isn't it? And tell me, how, how do you create your characters? How do you come up
1: with the ideas for your characters? I'd start off with research to see what's already on Amazon. So Amazon is where I used to do my research and also a really good platform that I find to promote my books onto. Just because as a self-publisher, startup costs uh, can be quite expensive just in publishing in general. So to make them as cheap as possible, I find that going somewhere that does print on demand where they'll pay for the printing for you, or at least the customer pays for it when they buy the books is really helpful. So I use those platforms to do research into what customers are looking for and what doesn't have too much competition. So that's one way that I get started. But at the same time, I also think about the messages that are are important to me and the messages that I want to share with children. For example, I wanted to create a storybook that just let children know how much God loved them. And I wanted it, but I didn't want it to be a standard Jesus Loves You book. I wanted it to be magical. I wanted it to have life into it. That's another reason why working with a ghostwriter was so helpful. Because I can say things like, I want it to be magical, but how do you actually make it magical? How do you actually breathe life into it? Those were the things that I needed help with. And so part of it, in terms of the beginning process, comes from research. But also what's burning in my heart and what I really want to share.
0: And does your
1: family get involved in your process? Not in particular. I have a godson, and at the moment, I'm really wanting to create books for him. Not necessarily just for him to read, but books to kind of show how much I love him and the dreams and aspirations that I have for him and all that I can see that he could be. So I guess in one regard, that's someone who's influenced me and inspired me. And so the desire that I have for those books comes out of my love for him. But in terms of other ways in which my family gets involved, nothing is really coming to mind at the moment. No worries. No worries. With my family, I
0: send them the books when I receive oh, yeah. them myself. Yeah. But yeah. It, it is my grandniece that is my inspiration at the moment. Yeah. What real world issues do you find important to address in your children's
1: books, if any? So I am extremely passionate about modern day slavery and the use of child soldiers and child labor and at one point I wanted to be able to write stories about that but I haven't quite formulated what that's going to look like it's a vague idea at the moment and not something that I've been able to fully think about I think that's something I need to almost go away on a little retreat and really explore that until I can flesh out some concrete ideas but one thing that I would like to do is use proceeds from my books to go and support different organizations that are working in these fields so that it's children helping other children. That's my, I wouldn't say long-term goal, but maybe mid-term goal. I'm just exploring, working to find organizations that I feel will have that one-on-one connection. There's lots of organizations where you can donate money and eventually will go to people that you're trying to serve. Whereas I'm looking for something that's got a little bit more of red- a tighter connection, whilst also being child friendly, because obviously those are quite traumatic topics and you need to be quite sensitive when talking about those subjects into a child audience. And so that's also things that I'm thinking about in the future. So is is that a, a project that you are cooking at the moment? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like when you're making almost like a four course meal. And you have something that's like chop, you're topping up the ingredients and so you've got things that are full steam ahead, the turkey in the oven or the mashed potatoes are already going. And then you've got little herbs that are on the side or things that we need to start working on, but not yet. Those ideas are things I need to start working on, but not quite yet.
0: Okay. If you could have a conversation with a children's book author, past, present, who would it be
1: and why? Probably C.S. Lewis. I know that he's done a variety of children's books and adult books and both of his works, all genres of him, his are amazing. But he had such a brilliant mind. Absolutely phenomenal. You also have Narnia, do you? Oh, yes, absolutely. And so when you asked that question, I was tossing up between J.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis, but C.S. Lewis actually had the Narnia series for children. Whereas yes. Lord of the Rings, whilst also being fantastic, it's not specifically geared for children. So C.S. Fort Lewis won over J.R. Tolkien just by a little, that little factor, but I love both of them and love their minds. Yes, they
0: are wonderful. I think everybody that I've talked to so far loves them. They cannot oh. be excluded, isn't it, <laughs> from our inspiration. Tell me about... A particular book or a particular character that was important to you
1: growing up. This is quite unconventional, but I absolutely adored Pocahontas. (laughs) It's probably still one of my favorite movies, and I just loved it. What? What do you love about it? I love the fact often issues such as race they can be quite divisive and it quite polarizing. And you'd see that in the movie, but it's, the movie goes beyond it. It's beyond the argument, beyond the debate to passionate of that doesn't mind like what color anyone is or us. And it, it's amazing and it's beautiful. And it was in a time which that was not normal. And, and so I love that it's done in such a romantic way, but so innocent and so free. There's no political agenda behind it. No covert agenda. They're just sharing a story in a beautiful way. And the music and the movie in particular is absolutely brilliant. The soundtrack is 10 out of 10. So, yeah, she held a very special place in my heart. Cool. What about, uh, do you read,
0: obviously, Stephen King says, if you want to be a writer, you need to read, 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 read. Are you reading anything at the moment? And...
1: Would you like to share it with us? Yes, so I'm reading a few books at the moment, but they're all nonfiction. Hopefully that's okay. Okay. And so one of them is Atomic Habits by James Clare. I try and read it like maybe several times a year just because it's something that I find I need to implement. It's very easy to read the book, but I really want to implement it. But he has so many activities that he puts in the book that you really need to take it slowly in order to make sure that you're implementing it and it's actually changing your life. So that's something that I've got on the back burner, just slowly waking, making my way through it to ensure that I'm actually doing it. And then I've got lots of question books that I read just slowly make my way through. So yeah, always got the book on the go and they're generally non-fiction books over fiction books. And what are you trying to implement at the moment from the atomic habit? That's a very good question. I want to be doing, I want to be implementing habits that lead to significant changes. And so in the book, he talks about how it's the small, minute changes that can lead to big shifts. And so I'm trying to identify what those small changes are that I could be implementing. But I'm also trying to identify what are the key overarching shifts that I want to be making. Because once you know what the goal is, then it's a lot easier to look back and see what are the small things you could do to get to the goal. So I'm in the process of identifying what the goal is that I could then identify what the small shifts are that I can make get to that goal.
0: Did you ever get like a surprising reaction for any of your books from a child or
1: adult for that matter? This wasn't um, necessarily surprising, but heartwarming. A friend of mine, she bought the books for her children and her children were quite young. They were younger than the demographic that I was aiming to. So I didn't really know. What What is your demographic? So for this particular book, the book that I'm referring to, it's around seven to 10. Um, but anyone can read it at just that book because of the language that's used. I wanted it to be a book that children could read themselves without needing an adult to read it to them. But her children were about maybe five and seven, so just slightly lower and on the lower end of the demographic. But she said that they were just walking around. it's my Would You Rather book. And she said they were walking around the house just asking each other questions. They couldn't get enough of it. And so I was really warmed by that. I love that she said that. But I was also pleasantly surprised that even the five-year-old, who I didn't think would be very interested in it, was very enthusiastic and really enjoyed it as well. That's very cool, isn't it, To actually see in
0: motion the intention that you had. Yeah. Isn't it? Materializing. That's so cool. Absolutely. Yes. If your latest book was made into a movie, who would you want the voice of your main character to be played by?
1: That's a very good question because I don't know very many actors. so Okay. Come and think of who it could be. I, say, I don't know if this would necessarily be true, but it could actually work. I'm thinking Denzel Washington. I feel like he'd have a good God voice. So I think that he would probably be a good pick yeah. for that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's fab, isn't
0: he? Mm-hmm. If you could have a magical power, mm-hmm. what would he be and Why? That is such a good question.
1: As you were asking the question, so many ideas were coming to my mind. Okay, I'm going to say what it is, and then I'm going to talk about the pros and cons. The thing that I like the most, the concept that comes to my mind the most, and I'm a big fan of in in relation to this question, is the power to turn back time. Just because, for example, I have a dear friend whose mom died of cancer. And by the time they found out the cancer was back, it was already in the liver. So it was really serious. But Mm -hmm. if I could turn back time, then we would already have that information and be able to warn them far ahead. So then they would be able to get treatment early before I even got to the liver. And even different areas in my life where I have regrets, I could turn back time to make sure I didn't have those regrets. However, one con is that you'd always be turning back time. That you'd never do anything because you'd just be turning back time. Or you'd be living a really crazy life just to turn back. You would just never be moving forward because every time you made a mistake, you'll just turn back. So I do like that idea for some reasons, but then I also feel realistically I might need to have a limit on it so that I don't spend the rest of my life turning back time. So
0: tell me about a regret that you have in your life.
1: So one of the key things is that during my 20s, I didn't realize how much time I had or how and what an amazing time that was. I look back at my 20s and now I think to myself, you had so much time and so much capacity to do so many different things. But because I didn't realize the power and the opportunities that I had, I think I took them for granted and I didn't realize how different life would be when I was 30 So that's one thing that if I could go back in time, that would be definitely be something I'd at least tell my younger self to pay attention and to start taking action.
0: Cool. Now, is there anything else that you would like to share with the people that you want to know about your books? Because you have a wonderful purpose in trying to get families to connect through your books. That's, What most of us would wish for, isn't it? That um, children are read to? But your books seem to be an interaction between even other families. Other children can come in so that they have a good time together through trying to answer all these questions. Is that your main vision for the books?
1: Partly, but I also... What I'm doing is I'm building an Etsy store alongside that. So in my Etsy store, I'm selling printable games that families can do together and also they can use for parties and things. So scavenger hunts, camping games, sleepover games. And so my vision is for them all to work together to be um, a resource for families to connect with one another, but then also connect with others. So that's definitely the heart behind my work but it's exciting to see it expand to other sectors in terms of printables and crafts and games as well as books so I'm not quite sure if that answered your question but that's where things are going at the moment so that I'll have the books as well as the crafts and games that people can print out and use together and I'm also doing um, little lunchbox notes that people Parents can write in for their kids and then pop it in their kids' lunchbox as a little secret surprise at lunchtime. That's really cute because I also have a, a shop and I mm-hmm. have
0: lunch boxes. Was there anything important in terms of why did you go Etsy instead of Shopify? Was there
1: a reason? Well, the key reason just, is just because Etsy is slightly more beginner friendly because the audience is already on Etsy. Lots of people go to Etsy to buy things, and so the audience is naturally there. Whereas with Shopify, from my understanding, and I'm definitely not a Shopify expert by any means, but from my understanding, you really have to draw the audience to your shop with Shopify. It doesn't have a natural flow of people coming your way. So with Etsy, you still have to make sure you're using the right keywords. You're standing out against the competition. But people are going on to Etsy every day for the purpose of buying things. Whereas with Shopify, people do, you can sell things there and it's no problem at all. But attracting that audience is slightly harder as a beginner. Right. Yeah, I'm finding that
0: out because my shop is in Shopify. and But I think it's a, a great thing to have your own shop. Yeah. Because that will be the future of publishing, I think. Yeah. People will go specifically to support your work in. So, yeah, but it is difficult to set up, I have to say, to get, yeah, a lot of help. Luckily, my partner is very internet savvy and all of that. But it's, I remember just the setting up the postage. Mm. We have to input every single, and I hope they do change that, make it easier. Every single country and the prices that they suggest so it's really laborious and tedious Mm. I don't know how you set it up in Etsy but yeah it was very time consuming but once it's done it's done isn't it exactly yeah oh you told me that you go and exercise with Mm. your mates two days a week is is there yeah. any other hobbies or activities that you have
1: outside your work like with books so do you mean other activities that involve books or other activities in general
0: any anything do you have any hobbies are you passionate about certain things i think i don't know all the rage in the states now is uh, people that run with backpacks with
1: weight oh. A thing in the States at the moment. I'm not quite that level, but it does sound interesting. But at the moment, I'm doing quite a lot of volunteer work. Um, one organization that I volunteer with, they explore slavery within the food industry. And so that's a New Zealand-based organization. And they do lots of research about slavery within the high sectors of um, food. So by that, there's certain sectors within the food industry that have a higher prevalence of slavery than other sectors. For example, fish is one of the highest sectors for slavery in the world in terms of food, whereas things like butter have quite a low risk of slave labor, especially in New Zealand. So there is a chance that there could be slave labor involved with the production of butter. That could be maybe... 20% 20% chance whereas with fish it's about 95% chance and so oh my
0: god seriously yes. uh, so
1: yeah we shouldn't be eating fish isn't it it's not necessarily that we shouldn't be eating fish but it's more about raising awareness so that the people that are involved in the fishing get paid what they should be paid or at least getting paid something and that their rights are being taken care of Because even if we stopped eating fish, that could then take away the livelihood of people, of economies that are really dependent on fishing industries. But at the same time, if the fishing industries, and this goes with all foods, for example, cocoa, sugar, nuts, coconut, all these types of things. It's more about the regulation of those different industries to make sure that the workers are paid adequately and they're actually paid at all for, for starters. Then it's also about making sure that what the producers are getting is enough that they can pay their workers. Because if we're paying them next to nothing, then of course they're going to be reliant on slave labour because they're not going to be able to run their businesses without labour. And so if they're not paid, then they're going to be relying on getting children and and taking them out of school or having children sold to them for the work that they need to do. But at the end of the day, those farmers need to make a living. Same with um, the men in the fishing boats and all those sorts of things. So part of it is just raising awareness so that those workers can have more access to freedom, rights, finances, all those sorts of things. Um, So that's something that I really enjoy getting involved with. I had no idea that fish was such a high risk food. So all of that's been quite interesting for me to work with and then I've also just started volunteering for an agency that helps support people who have been enslaved in Australia because that's quite a secret industry that people don't realize that how prevalent slavery is within Australia so that's been quite interesting to get involved with what what is happening exactly so at the moment just worldwide there's more slaves than they've ever been in the world And so in Australia, there's around 41,000. Those are conservative estimates. And so that can be in the form of forced marriage, where you'll have maybe a 16-year-old girl that's forced to marry a 30 to 40-year-old man completely against her will. Then there's servitude. One recent incident was where a family had imported a girl from the, the Pacific Islands to work in their house, but without any pay. She couldn't go outside, couldn't see people. She was just there in the house to be their slave. And then you've got also other instances of people being promised a wonderful income where they're going to have freedom over here in Australia. So they might come over from more of a low-income country, believing that they're just going to have so much freedom, a chance for a new beginning, and a chance to also support their families back home. But when they arrive, their passports are taken off them, they don't have a visa, and they're forced to work without pay, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Sometimes they might get, for example, $80 a week for all their work, but very limited, next to no protection. And yeah, so that's some of the things that are happening here in Australia. So it's great to be able to raise awareness of that, but also provide support for people that have um, been able to get out of those situations. I know. We we think
0: that slavery has been abolished, but yeah, yeah all over the world, isn't it? Um, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is very noble work you're doing. That's really cool. Did you, you know, uh, about um, children, warriors, did you ever watch, what is it called? Was it? Diamond. Blood Diamond? Blood
1: Diamond. Yes, Yeah. I have not. I haven't watched any movies like that. I think because I'm just too scared. But for some reason, I've always had this gut knowing that something's going on, that things are going wrong in the world, while mm-hmm. in particular with regards to slave labor and child labor and the use of child soldiers and all those sorts of things. So even though I'm too scared to watch those movies, I've always had this inclination that things were going on and that I wanted to be involved in stopping them. That's
0: wonderful. Yes, it- Uh, Quite a a violent movie, but great performances. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, even though it is that violent. And it was calling attention to Mm. the fact that every girl wants a shiny (laughs) thing on there. I I was pleased that I wasn't one of those girls, for sure. Uh, Yeah, pretty much everything these days, you have to... Pay extra attention, isn't it? Even food. Yeah. Because I remember a few years back, there was a report that 2%. I I was vegetarian for about 30 years, but I'm back eating meat because I'm worried. I I got COVID and he affected my COVID. Wow. Sorry. And he affected me quite badly. And my Mm. mom has Alzheimer's amino acids and stuff that you need for prevention so I'm back eating meat and fish but a few years back I remember a report that 2% of the chicken that is cheap in the supermarket is being children in the middle of the street plucking chickens and with no conditions whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I was glad back then that I wasn't getting involved in that but now Mm -hmm. I'm a bit older I need to adjust my diet to prevention of certain things that could be a possibility in the future. And it's really difficult, everything, pretty much everything you buy, there is something that is not cool about it. And you go, gosh, what am I supposed to eat? How am I supposed (laughs) to eat? Yeah, it's really difficult. I try and get free range eggs, free range chicken, so that I'm a Buddhist. So I do not want to impose suffering, but yeah, it's quite difficult to achieve your goal in the world we're living in, isn't it?
1: Yeah. One thing I just want to say is that just talking about it makes such a difference. I think when you look at these situations, they can seem so overwhelming, like one person against the entire world. I think slavery and human trafficking is the third highest um, industry in the world. And so it does seem, wow, what on earth can I do? It seems like it's everywhere. And even like fruits and vegetables, they're big industries for slave labor as well. Bananas, like so many different things, you'd pretty much not have to eat and also just live on water. And, and that's not possible. That's not possible at all. Well,
0: I, I do fast a lot if there is any consolation. At the moment, I'm actually just eating once every 24 hours. Wow.
1: Wow. Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah, because fasting is also great prevention for all sorts of disease like Alzheimer's. Yeah, so I, I'm doing my best. I, I do eat a lot less. I, I don't eat three meals a day anymore for for a long time. I started this fasting thing four years ago and it, it feels right to me to be doing it. I feel much better But it's difficult in our society and how things are set up to find what is the correct action to take, especially if one of your main intentions in life is to help. Mm -hmm. But if you can't help,
1: at least do no harm. That's the main thing. And just talking about it, literally, most people in the world don't know that slavery exists. So just highlighting it already makes such a difference because regardless of whether or not we eat these things, the for some farmers, that's their livelihood. So if we stopped eating it, then they would have no survival either. And yeah. discussions make such a difference because when we talk about it, then we can cr- come to solutions that actually help both parties. So talking makes such a difference. And even conversations like this, you know,
0: Absolutely. So what kind of solutions are these organizations that you're volunteering for trying to manifest in the
1: world? Well, the first one with the food industry, one of the key things is encouraging more, both big and small companies to make sure their foods are a fair trade or slave free, to make sure they know what's going on in their supply chains to ensure that the people that are involved in our supply chain are all being paid fa- fairly and safe and secure conditions and that children are being able to go to school, grow up, to reach their full potential. And so that's the key thing that we're trying to develop there in terms of the supply chains in the food industry. Raise awareness, but also calling out businesses so they take responsibility and put people over profits. And then in the second organization, the key focus there is really on um, helping survivors rehabilitate and re- readjust to normal survival. Um, often it could take two years for a perpetrator to be prosecuted. But during that time, the survivor still needs to be living life and recovering. And so part of the work that we do there is just really helping them alongside that journey. A lot of them, especially if they've been taken out of school, I still need to learn how to read, need to learn how to write, need to learn how to do basic things like go and pay the bills, to get a driver's license, learn how to take a driving test, go and see a movie, just things that involve everyday living. So more, that's more Yeah, yeah. So that's more, more practical level. Yeah, yeah. Day to day. And just long term, because obviously when you're coming out of a situation like that, you can only do so much at a time. Some days you might take 10 leaps forward and then another day you might take five leaps back. But we're trying to offer that long-term support. so They know that regardless of where they are on that journey, we'll be there to help them. That's wonderful work. Yeah, I I remember not so
0: long ago, I watched a a documentary because I also look for the cheer-friendly label. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But I watched a documentary not so long ago that says that is all a lie. So it's
1: that's the kind of thing I find difficult. I'm so glad that you raised that because I was actually just doing some research into that. And the majority of those labels... Don't have anything in regards to humans and their step stat- like and what their standards are. So they're pretty much doing the bare minimum to make sure that the environmentalists are happy. But there's very little about human support or safety or pay because people don't know about it. So at the moment, there's lots of um, awareness about ethical standards in terms of the environment, but not much awareness about human needs and human rights and that aware and that movement. So even things that are often labelled as being vegan, organic, completely natural, often they won't have any safeguards against modern slavery in their supply chains or in their statements. But that's because people don't know. And so by having these conversations, um, businesses are pressured to take those into account. But it is frustrating when you look at these things and see that they're more just a label on a box as opposed to being tangible real standards that you can trust.
0: Yeah, because I had a friend over for dinner last night and we were talking about, I've been using, Echover is the name of the products that we have in Ireland and in England. I've been using those for 35 years. I've been getting eggs, free range eggs for 35 years. I knew how to, you know, if I want to use, eat tuna which i've now decided that i need oily fishes in my diet i mm. need to make sure that they are caught in, in a humane way so i look for mm. the little label but the what transpired to me now when i saw that documentary was that i am taking care to look for all of those things and try and not impose harm but because the label is a joke, it, it, yeah. it doesn't represent at all what people are doing in the background. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there, there is no point for me to being that careful because actually yeah. the la- the label is a lie. I'm still imposing suffering, even though I am looking for those labels, trusting that they would be at least honest, mm-hmm. but they, they're mm-hmm. not. That's mm-hmm. what is transpiring. Yeah. So yeah. how... Do you navigate a a world of dishonesty? Yeah, it's very difficult. So, of course, for humans, that is to the power of a a hundred, isn't it? The difficulties.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very sad way of living on the planet, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about contemporary or otherwise. We already talked, of course, Tolkien N.C.S. Lewis, which we all love, is there any other children authors
1: that you admire? Definitely, Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. Top ten for sure. There's also another author called Max Licardo, and he writes a book called You Are Special, and the illustrations in the book are absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But in the book, there's like a little world, and it's they're all wooden, and they're all wooden toys. But they don't know their toys. They, I think they're called the Wemix. And so there's a toy maker who makes them and he's like the carver and his name is Eli. And, and in the little world that they live in, everyone goes around giving each other stickers and dots. So the stickers are for people that have people's approval. So they might be the movie stars, the models, all those. They had lots of stickers. And the people that get the dots are like the poor people, the people who have an eye missing or that are really bad at sports or things like that. And so all day long, people are giving each other stickers and dots. And then and there's one one woman, and he's, I think he's just poor. He doesn't look quite right. He's slightly disfigured. And so he just gets dots. No one ever gives him a star. He gets dots. And he's always trying to get these stars. And then one day, this is this, I think they're called Wibbles, called Lucia. And she doesn't have any stars or dots on her. And he tries to run up to her and give her a star, but it falls off. And he sees all these other people trying to give her stars and dots and they keep falling off. And then what he finds is that because she gets her value from Eli, who is the animal, the toy maker, she doesn't care what other people think. So that they might try and give her a star or a dot, but those opinions fall off of her because she finds her value in Eli. So she is not basing her self-worth on what other people think. And it's written in such a beautiful way that everyone wants to be the girl that doesn't care what other people think of her and just gets to walk through life scar-free. And so it's just really beautiful and it's really...
0: I I want to get it. uh, It's called You
1: Are Special and I think you'll like it. Yeah. The illustrations are really beautiful and the message is very special. But it's read a lot to children, especially in New Zealand, because it's just got such a wonderful heart behind it. Exactly.
0: the heart of the matter, yeah. isn't it? Yes, exactly. You're still very young, but if at this point you were to do a memoir or if your life were a book, what would
1: you call it? That's a great question. A very question. good question. The first thing that came to my mind was the life of grace, but that's so boring. It cannot be called that. There's no way I can call it that. You know what? I'd love to call it a life well lived, and that's because I've always had this vision of looking back at the end of my life, knowing that I made, I took every chance, that I didn't leave anything on the table. I went all lit in. So if I was going to write a menu, or someone was going to do a biography on me, I'd want my life to show that I lived a life well lived, that I went all in, didn't hold anything back, just dove in for everything. I want to be someone who lives a lot life well, lived. Wonderful. And I have
0: this little tradition, which I mm-hmm. stole from another podcast, that the guest before leaves a question I... for the guest, the following guest. But actually, mm-hmm. the last person I interviewed hasn't sent me the question. Oh. Yeah, and I forgot to ask them on the podcast, because when I was mm-hmm. editing the first one, I thought, no, I can't obviously be asking this live. I have <laughs> to ask people to send me the question. So I didn't get a, a question for you, but I'm going to use, because the, none of the podcasts have gone out yet, so I think I can use the, the first guest's mm-hmm. question again, because it was really cute. If Have you ever written yourself into a book as a character and if you have which
1: book so I haven't done it with a book but I did it all the time with tv shows and movies and I remember I was probably like late child early teen and spy kids came in I'm not sure if you've seen it or if you your children saw it or anything like that but it was a movie where these kids, I think they become spies. So they're just normal everyday kids. And then they become spies and they do it really well. And it's a really fun movie. But I just day- used to daydream all the time about becoming a spy. And in my brain, I lived like it was just about to happen any moment. Like I was going to be warped, like drawn into the movie. It was just going to become my life. And so I almost... Was either I would either be daydreaming about being a spy and being sucked into that world, or I lived waiting for it to happen, just eager for me to be drawn into that movie at any time. So it wasn't a book, but that movie just definitely captivated me. And I'd probably laugh at it right now because the quality was probably terrible. But at that time, it captivated me.
0: What movie? What's it called? Sorry? I think it's called Spy Kids. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I probably, I did train as a filmmaker. I should know about it. Is it Australian?
1: No, it's an American one. American so it was like French. a word, yeah. No,
0: I I can't say, I, I can look for it, but I can't say I know about it. But that is a wonderful thing. I think you will eventually write a book uh, about <laughs> spies, I'm sure of it. I have to thank you then for coming to the Little Pages League. If you move to England, you can visit. I'm just across the pond. And yes,
1: good luck with everything. Where can people find you? That's a very good question. And first of all, thank you so much for having me on. This has been so much fun. I'm just redoing my website at the moment. So hopefully by the time that this comes out, you'll be able to find me at agatharovepublications.com. And so that is going to have all my social media on it, as well as um, a link to my Etsy store. Hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, you'll be able to find me at agatharosepublications.com. Wonderful. On that note, have a
0: wonderful evening and we shall see each other further down the road, I'm sure. Thank you. You have a great day. Thank you. See you later. Bye bye. Thank you, Grace. Did you know that only 24% of people subscribe to the podcasts they listen to? Hit the bell icon to stay updated. And if you love the content, let others discover the podcast by leaving a review. Your support is crucial and very much appreciated. Thank you for listening.